you found the Digging Oak Island podcast. Podcasters journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our podcast, you can always help the show out by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Also, come join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show by going to your search bar and typing in at Diggin' Oak Island. Hello, everyone. We are back for another season of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Thanks to everyone for hanging in there, for staying subscribed, and for coming back and listening again. And if you're new, thank you for joining us for the first time. I really do appreciate it. It's been an incredibly busy summer for me, which is uh, why this year's summer break was probably longer than it has been in past years, I think. But we're back now, and my plan is to get a show out just about every week until maybe a week, a couple of weeks before the new season of the TV show starts. And then we might take another short break just to kind of gather our thoughts for that. Um, but we'll see. We'll do our best. We may take a week off here and there uh, until this new season begins in the fall. Um, and then, of course, once that happens, we're definitely going to be dropping a new podcast every week, um, assuming everything goes to plan, right? So there are a lot of reasons why this summer break was long, and and I just just to fill you in because I know so many of you have really kind of become friends here. Um, but let let you so, and I'll just kind of give you one right after a twenty five year break, I am back on the air as a disc jockey. Crazy, I know. Uh, so a shameless plug: every Wednesday from two to four p.m., I'm going to be hosting a new show on uh, WDVR FM. It's called the Bourbon Street Bistro. I play two hours of the music of New Orleans. So, and that includes everything, right? Blues, funk, singer-songwriter stuff, jazz, Zydeco, you know, all sorts of things. Um, so come and join me if you can. If you're in the New Jersey or Pennsylvania area, eastern Pennsylvania, West Jersey, you can probably get us on the radio, 89.7 FM. You can always go to WDVRFM.org and listen there. Again, it's Wednesdays, 2 to 4 p.m. I think we're also on the TuneIn app. And from what I understand, you can ask Alexa to play WDVR. And then it just kind of magically comes on your radio. Anyway, that's just one thing. It's taken a lot of time for me to sort of gather up some stuff and do some research and get ready for that. So that kind of took precedent there during the off season. And also, I've told you guys before, I'm a musician, and this is my busiest time of the year. I'm really loaded with work uh, in the summer. And then in the wintertime, when the show's airing, really, is when things get a little easier for me and I have more time. So the summer break shows have always been kind of harder for me to uh, to make happen. But I got some nice plans for you. Got some interviews coming up, hopefully, fingers crossed. I uh, got some, um, you know, in addition to the timeline of the Oak Island thing, I'm going to try to get back. I'm really working on this and getting back to finishing the Captain Kid story. I think there's only one more chapter left in that, uh, but we're going to certainly do that. So anyway, end of shameless plugs. Let's get on with the show. I thought the best way for me to... Um, kind of get back in the saddle here would be to go through all of the listener emails and messages that you guys have sent me during this break and since the last time I put out a podcast and get them all answered. That way we can get that all done. And then you guys, if you have any other questions as we move on, we can do this again maybe in a few weeks time. Okay. So let's do that today. And remember, if you have an email that you want read and answered in a future podcast, you can drop me a line at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. So let's take a short break here. 
come back just after the beach <laughs> with uh, with a couple of your emails. Okay, let's start out with our friend Jesse who writes, Rick said on the Drilling Down episode that they are 13 years in. Wow, it's crazy to think that we as fans have been watching for eight seasons and they have been going at it for 13 years. My question is, do you think they could have made it 13 years digging if it wasn't for the show? Do you think that Marty and Craig would have blown millions of their own dollars over 13 years? Or do you think it was only because of the show that they have been able to afford 13 years of digging? Also, just listening to your Season 8 wrap-up podcast and you mentioned how many people would uh, have to be in the moon landing conspiracy. <laughs> 400,000. That's how many people it took to get the world's three heroes to the moon. I mean it that way because at the moment, we are all mankind. Keep up the good work, Jesse. Uh, Jesse, great to hear from you again. Um, truth be told, I think they would probably still be digging, but at a way smaller scale, right? Uh, I think that's the, I think Rick, and to some extent, Marty and Craig, have been bitten by the treasure hunter bug. We've talked about this before. People who believe in things like buried treasure or you know other things like Bigfoot or those kind of things, they're coming at this from a different angle than the rest of us, a different place, I guess, in their brain. I don't know. Uh, then, then we who are not, quote unquote, all in, right? Does that make sense? My guess is that they would be there on Oak Island with like a small drig rill, some shovels, maybe a rickety old excavator or something like that. Something like the so many that like like the same thing so many researchers had before them. I mean, look how many years Dan Blankenship did that, you know, and the rest of us would probably still be there if not for the horrible accident. Right. Um, if history is our guide, they would be spending most of their time. <laughs> finding investors, working on a shoestring budget, you know, doing the best they possibly can with ever-dwindling resources. But thankfully for them, life has made a much different turn down the Laguna's road than for every other Oak Island treasure hunter who came before them. And because of that, we have this show that's been going on. And not only has the show influenced the fact that they've been able to do this for 13 years, but do it in a way and in a manner that is more intense, more expensive, more resources poured into it than anybody before them in the 200 years of people doing this. And what Jesse is referring to about the moon landing, I think, is um, something that I said, in, in as he's mentioned in that last uh, podcast that we did about people online who... Uh, think the things like the Laginas, they really know the answer to all this. They really found the treasure already. And what they're doing is hiding that fact just to keep the show going, you know? Um, and, and I might point out and all the, well, the only thing I might point out in all that is, is while the conspiracy theory might sound good on the surface to people, and it looks like you've got evidence to all that, you know, just like a lot of people hear this NASA thing and they see something about, the stars and the man, and it looks good, right? And it, it looks like it makes sense. And oh my God, the light goes off. Maybe this was it, right? I just think when it comes to both of those things, <laughs> the idea that the Laginas have already discovered the treasure and the idea that NASA faked the moon landing, people who believe in that really aren't thinking this idea through all the way before they start to advocate for that idea. Just like NASA would have needed to convince literally 
thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, according to Jesse, to go in on this lie for the rest of their lives, right? And to be possibly negligent, um, you know, perpetrating a fraud to the entire public. So too would the, the Laginas need to have not only themselves willing to do this and willing to take this risk, but and all the other people involved in the fellowship, right? But also scores of cameramen, editors, producers, I mean, caterers, on and on and on, all willing to perpetrate this fraud and to keep this secret. It's just very far-fetched in my mind. Thanks again, Jesse. Hope all is well, man. Okay, let's go now to Mike who writes, Dear Dave, found your podcast last year and I enjoy your take and those of your listeners and followers. I just watched the Drilling Deeper episode and I wanted to make some comments on it. I agree with your overall point about how the TV show and the search coexist. The season was destined to be difficult given the late start of the, and the restrictions imposed by COVID. That said, it did lead them to investigate other areas of the island and its mystery. This episode has the advantage of being at the end of the season of work, but it reminds me of the way the show goes. One question that I have had since the show began is how much of what they find, particularly along the shore, might have been dredged up by the depo- and deposited over the years from the sea? Okay, let me just interrupt here. A lot. Uh, and there's no way to tell the difference. Anyway, email continues. The ship's railing, with its radiocarbon dating, I presume, from the early Middle Ages, 630 AD, which predates early French, British, for crying out loud, the Knights Templar, were founded in the Crusades after, the 11, after 1100, is mentioned as something that may have floated into the swamp. Well, what about other things, like the lead cross? Treasure hunters like Gary Drayton with metal detectors have come across coins in Florida that ended up on beaches from offshore wrecks. Those finds sometimes helped find those wrecks. But it has almost never come up as a way that stuff gets on Oak Island. I'm going to interrupt again. Strangely, even, when you consider Gary Drayton's um, lifetime of metal detecting and the success he's had of metal detecting on the beach for things that began their journey in the water, the fact that that has never come up, that Gary hasn't opined or, or put out the idea that maybe this washed up here from something offshore. Anyway, he continues, I, I think that this year's work has laid out more of the early history of Oak Island and Nova Scotia and the work they did away from the money pit is fascinating. It may not have anything to do with treasure, but it's but it lets us see that this place may have been used for a long time before anyone dug at the money pit. And Mike, there are plenty of theories on, uh, I'm going to interrupt here again, on who and what it might be. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to discuss that in future episodes. Anyway, finishes up. I'm around the same age as Marty, Rick, and Craig, and I remember reading the Reader's Digest article in Oak Island as a kid. There is a certain amount of wish fulfillment in this show for me, and I remember reading once, online that the show is about a brotherhood of older white guys working towards a goal more than it is about treasure. The last regular episode adds to that view, but they have added women and well, one uh, and, and well uh, diversified with uh, with one African American um, to the effort as well as highlighting Samuel Ball, who may not have been the richest man in Nova Scotia, seems to have been very industrious as a free black man in Imperial England. So without doing any direct reference to Black Lives Matter or Me Too, there has been an opening during the course of the show 
to more uh, to a more diverse set of contributors. Thanks again for your podcast, Mike in West Virginia. Mike, you're welcome. You some great points there. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um, and, uh, you know, to the show, keep writing in. Um, I don't have much to say there about the end. I think they have done that. I, I'm not sure that that's, that was their stated goal. Um, no, no way to know that. But um, they certainly have done so. And they've certainly expanded the search, right, beyond not just with investment of money, but there's so many more people. Go back and watch season one or two again, and you'll know exactly what I mean. Anyway. Let's go down to Anthony, who messaged me on Facebook. Hi, Dave. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've been listening for a year now and loving it. Keep up the great work. I have one question regarding the Stone Road. So I have a degree in North American History and Geographic Information Sciences, GIS, and have been an avid metal detectorist for 12 years now. The skills I have, I've been able to locate a lot of historical sites in my area and recover artifacts from my local historical society. In my area of Michigan, there are a lot of swamps, lakes that used to have roads cutting through them. These roads were called floating roads. These are built almost identical to what they found in the swamp on Oak Island. They would use old logs from the logging days as the base for these roads, then place stone on top of that to weigh them down, then place dirt on top of that to make it not so rough of a ride. The problem with these roads is they continued to sink into the mud over time until they would completely disappear under the water. So they had to keep adding dirt to them over time, and if they didn't, it would be lost to history. In my opinion, I think the swamp roads could have been a floating road. The best way for them to find out exactly how old it is is to remove the stone and find the timbers under under it to date. I'm just wondering why the show has never brought in this history of these types of roads before and why the archaeologists have not reamed the rocks in an area to see if there are timbers under them. Or maybe they did and didn't show it on the show. Hope this helps with the history behind these roads. Keep up the great work with the podcast. I will write in some time again to talk about ways they could use GIS to solve the mystery. Listen, thank you very much, Anthony. Some great insight there. Uh, gives us a nice pr- perspective on what we're seeing and what could be possible. And... Um, you know, the one thing that we always talk about here and the one thing I always think of is uh, going that extra yard, right, and getting a little bit more than what they're showing us on the show. We're seeing this um, and, you know, for whatever reason, whether the archaeologists are not somebody who has the same background as you, don't know the history of some of these things, or perhaps they do, they've said it, it just doesn't make it to the show because in the show's mind, it's not as fascinating as talking about the Knights Templar. But that's why we have this podcast, right? That's why I did this, because I wanted to go on this journey to discover what this truth might be. But I wanted to bring all of you with me. And boy, oh boy, let me tell you, as the months go by in this podcast and the resources that that come up, the greatest of all those resources that have come out of this are you guys, <laughs> really. Uh, the amount of insight you've given me here and the amount of information you're helping me with is really helping every one of us who listen to this show um, and take part in this show um, to really kind of cut through the silliness. <laughs> I hate to use that word, but some of the silliness of the show. I got another example of that at the very end of the show. Anyway, so back to what you're saying, Anthony. The question then is, What was this road used for? If we know that that's what it is, if we come to that conclusion that you're right in this floating road, then what can we 
what have they used it for? Now, the problem that I have, though, Anthony, even having said everything I've said before already here, it's hard for me to believe the archaeologists wouldn't do the work that you say here, right? You, you would think they did. Now, who knows? Maybe their backgrounds are different. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, and I don't know if these floating roads that you're talking about are you know, something a lot of Canadian archaeologists would be aware of. Who knows? Um, But to think they didn't go under this layer of rock to look a little farther, well, I mean, it seems pretty clear from the work they're doing that they've done that, right? So they either didn't find the wood you're speaking of or they just haven't showed it to us yet. That would be my guess. It's got to be one of those two things, right? Anyway, We've got a lot more to go here with the swamp. This is going to be the focus for at least this season for sure, especially if this season has been interrupted with COVID stuff um, or at least affected. We're going to we're going to really get into the swamp, um, you know, and not the big dig and that kind of thing, which I think we've already kind of pushed that away to the side for now. Uh, so we got a lot more to talk about. Anthony, I need you back here. <laughs> I need you watching this upcoming season, and I need you telling us what you think of these things. Anyway, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, for, to more from you. Keep it coming. Let's take a quick break here uh, just so I can kind of gather my thoughts a bit and correlate a couple more emails here, and we'll come back in just a second and answer more of your questions. All right, we are back. Let's go now to Brian, who writes, Hello, Dave. First time I've written to you, I started listening to the podcast in January 2021 as I started driving to work again. Four four episodes from catching up completely. I enjoy the show and really like your perspective as a fairly neutral, as neutral as a fan can be. That is true. Uh, Observer and researcher in the Oak Island mystery. Thanks, especially for the interviews you managed to do. They really add some weight to the podcast. And listen, I got to stop here. Um, I, I got to tell you guys, I'm really working on that. Uh, I'm trying to get a few of those in. I got like, I got yeses on a bunch of really good ones. I just got to actually, you know, get it recorded and, uh, you know, finished here. So stay tuned. We're going to do some more of that. Anyway, Brian continues. So to my question, finally, this is from memory as I have not found the episode and rewatched it, but a few seasons ago, an episode featured Rick meeting with a neighbor island landowner. Owner. This owner was basically proposing to Rick to join forces as he held an island that had caves in it where an altar and relics were supposedly found. Nothing was ever mentioned again that I remember. I think I have seen every episode, which should give me my own answer, as you often say. <laughs> Do you remember this? Do you know which episode season this was in? What is the backstory of this person and his offering? Thanks again for the time and efforts you put into the podcast and the social media. We fans appreciate it. Regards, Brian in Minnesota. I love hearing where you guys are from. Feel free to put that in there. Uh, it's always fascinating to me, and uh, especially if you, it ends up being someplace I've been to and, you know, maybe on my way to in the future. <laughs> Brian, uh, I, man, I'll tell you, I do have a recollection of that. I think he might have had a kind of a fun hat on too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he owned like Frog Island or Apple Island. I can't remember which, or even if I'm right about that. Uh, he seemed to be kind of eccentric. Um, I, 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 
And he wasn't he the guy who said something like, I have the answer to all of your questions or something, something like that in his moment, uh, in his crackpot session, as I like to call him. Um, if there are any listeners out there who might have a better memory of this, please let me know. Brian, just so you know, I did spend some time trying to find this. I just couldn't find it right away. Uh, it was a quick scene. Um, it was kind of the end of an episode, if I'm not mistaken. Nothing really came of it. The guy was never seen again. Uh, and if I'm remembering the same thing, um, like I said, he certainly came off as, let me put it this way, as someone who appeared to be um, looking to get on television. Is that the right way to do it? I'm sorry I'm punting this a bit, Brian. I just don't remember, um, mostly because in my mind, well, two things. One, I have a god-awful memory, like an epically bad memory. This is, you know... <laughs> This is why I'm a podcaster and not a scientist or a researcher or a historian. Um, I have a terrible, terrible memory. But the other problem is he didn't seem credible to me. And because there was no follow-up, that's usually my way of getting confirmation that nobody else in the room thought it was credible either. Uh, so kind of just sort of forgot about it. Again, hopefully a listener out there can help us with this. I'm sure somebody can because it was a, f a scene that was... W pretty well talked about um anyway thank you for the email I'll try to get you that answer if it comes to me if somebody writes me back i will let you know so stay subscribed keep listening um and I, again i know i might be way off in what i'm thinking of here i may be thinking of somebody totally different so if i am somebody out there correct me and give me the right information okay let's go to duncan duncan emailed us about a podcast i did back in may uh, where I talked with writer Diller, Dylan Taylor Lehman, who published an article on the Oak Island mystery for the May and June 2021 issues of Popular Mechanics. He writes, Hi, Dave. Interesting choice of guest. The author of a worthless article, to be sure. I view myself as a reluctant skeptic when it comes to Oak Island. I hope they find a treasure, but I remain doubtful. What intrigues me about Oak Island is the possibilities. Your guest, however, approached the subject from a debunker's perspective. The edition, after all, was titled Conspiracy Theorists Don't Wear Tinfoil Hats. He was clearly given a brief to skew his article. There are so many researchers out there who have devoted years studying the subject, uh, some following fanciful theories perhaps, but others have engaged in methodical academic study. And then there's this guy, spends a couple of months skimming the surface of the subject, and we are expected to care what, what he thinks of it. As I read the article, the final straw for me was his snide dig at Rick and Marty Laginas, suggesting they were somehow benefiting from prolonging the search. I was glad you called him out on it, but his disingenuous response that he did not mean for it to be taken that way was, frankly, pathetic. It could not have been interpreted any other way. He seemed a nice enough guy in your interview, but really, how was he relevant? I look forward to catching your podcast after each episode airs, as I feel it complements the TV show really well. I read the Popular Mechanics article before I knew you were going to interview the author. I was frankly surprised you let him anywhere near your show. I remain, I remain a fan regardless. Best wishes, Duncan. Uh, Duncan, the author you speak so poorly of here, is relevant, um, since, you, since you brought that up, why is it relevant? Why did I have him on the show? Uh, because of the simple fact that he was... Honestly, the first writer in a long time to publish an article on the Oak Island treasure hunt in what one would call a serious or major publication, put in whatever word you want there. 
the article that you speak of popped up on literally everything you could imagine regarding Oak Island. It was passed around over and over again by the Oak Island fandom on every Facebook group, every Reddit page. I mean, you keep going. The list goes on and on. It was everywhere. <laughs> In my mind, that alone makes him and his article that he wrote relevant to this show. Regardless of what we may think of it or what we may think of his conclusions or how he wrote it, it's still a relevant subject. Listen, man, I'm a musician and I'm also a radio DJ again. In my mind, there is literally an ocean worth of musical nonsense out there <laughs> that for the life of me, I can't understand why it's popular, but it is. And whether I like it or not, it's still relevant. And listen, I'm sorry if you didn't like his article. I'm, I'm not sure how much I thought it added to the, to the discussion here either. And I'm sorry if you didn't like the interview. But I simply don't agree with your assessment on whether I should have interviewed him for the podcast. I want all the perspectives here. And, the, and I'm not going to interview him, um, have it be something that I find disappointing, and then decide for you what you, the listener, wants to hear or come to whatever conclusions. That's not my job. My job is to interview him and publish the interview. You draw the conclusions you want. Um, again, especially at, with a perspective of an author, author as widely read as Dillard Taylor Lehman, who has written articles for other major publications and on other subjects. And there's a lot of that you write in here that I'm not I'm sure he would take task with, like being told to come at it from a debunker's perspective. Um, you don't know that. I don't know that. Uh, I certainly wouldn't accuse him of that. Um, I don't I don't know that that's true or not. Um, anyway, I'm not here to filter things out for you. I'm here to gather up everything, all the views, all the perspectives, and let you decide, plain and simple. Thanks for listening, Duncan. And I hope your interest and your liking of this podcast would extend beyond a single episode uh, with which we may disagree because I promise you my goal is to bring on other people who you and I may not agree with. That's the point of the show, is to get all of the perspectives. Anyway, all the best, my friend. Hope to talk to you again soon. Let's go now to Jeff, who writes, Hi, Dave. How's it going? Sorry I'm late in responding to the season review. I listened to your show today, and I really only have one thing I'd like to add, and it is a complaint about the season. The lack of Jack. <laughs> What is up with this? Jack is my favorite character on the show, and he has been relegated to complete obscurity. I don't know if you can gain any insight as to the reason for this direction for the show. They do show him on brief occasions, so you know he is there, but he doesn't do anything anymore. He doesn't go out with Gary on the metal detecting excursions anymore, as these scenes are now being given to Peter and David Frenetti who they seem intent on giving larger roles to, which is fine, but they are not nearly as likable as Jack or nearly as entertaining to watch. This, to me, was the biggest disappointment of the season, and there is no explanation for it. In my opinion, Jack should be given more things to do, not less. They should be sending him out every time with Gary and on every trip with Carmen Legg, and they should be giving him more assi research assignments with Charles Barkhouse and Doug Kroll, and he should also be the one to climb down the swamp during excavations. I'm not sure if he said or did something wrong, but he is complete, his complete removal from the show for all intents and purposes was a major flaw in the season, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way. 
I think a lot of people don't even realize how much this contributed to their negative view of the season. Without Jack's upbeat and optimistic interactions, this season felt hollow. I can only hope the producers will see the error of their ways and focus next season on the theme of Jack is back. <laughs> Jeff, um, unfortunately, I have no insight to give you here. Um, there's no reason I'm aware of as to why Jack would have been, as you say, quote unquote, relegated to complete obscurity. Although I think it might be, um, I think that might have be, be overstating it a bit, don't you? Um, and I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that um, your view on this particular change from last year is not universally accepted as the case. There are some people who may not agree with you, your assessment on this. Anyway, uh, I don't think it has anything to do with anything other than, you know, let me say this. Um, hang on until we get, if we ever get, another season not affected dramatically by COVID. My guess is, and I, again, I have no perspective on this, but maybe the various COVID-related issues with travel and all this kind of stuff played some sort of part in Jack's time spent on the island last summer. Who knows? You know, let's let's see what this season looks like. And then if he's back in, in all of his glory again, <laughs> we know um, we we know that that must have been some sort of covert related thing. Uh, thank you for your email. And Jack, if you're listening, really, we do all miss you. Um, it was it was noticeable to not have you last year. OK, folks, I'm going to take another quick break here to catch my breath. And we come back on the other side with more of your emails and messages. All right, let's get back into it. This time, let's go now to Facebook and hear what a listener named Wayne said. He writes, been following this podcast for the whole season. Actually, I follow about three podcasts that cover the Curse of Oak Island. And I just wanted to start by saying thank you for your weekly coverage. Even when you're sick and have COVID, <laughs> which I did, uh, you always made sure to have an episode out for everyone. And that was not easy, folks. Let me just re <laughs> let me just reiterate that. Uh, but as far as how the season went, I think that yes. They may not have found the gold and silver that they have been chasing, but as for artifacts, it's the best season to date. Doesn't need to be treasure to satisfy me. They are crossing off theories every day in that swamp. We may not know what was going on there or by who, but for, the season, for this season, we didn't think anything happened there, and now we know for a fact something did. Was it related to the treasure? I'm not sure. And as for dates, it's possible. But seems early. Regardless, it's finds and artifacts, things that, that, that to me, they didn't think would be there. So it's been a journey. We don't know where they will lead, where they will lead next, uh, especially after the Dr. Spooner episode where he did his tests on the money pit wells and found the traces of silver. Yep, that is one th let me just interrupt. That is one thing that might take our attention away from the swamp a bit. Will this be enough for there for enough to go and do a big dig? I doubt it. But I know they will get. We won't give up. Um, so, in conclusion, I really enjoyed the season. A lot of questions, no treasure. But as a loyal fan, I was pleased. Now, as for your podcast, I wanted to say, out of the three I watch, yours is the best. That's because you're not watching me. Um, I have a face for radio. Anyway, it doesn't lead people on like the show does. You are honest and give all your opinions, which are usually pretty good. And as a podcaster and not someone from the show. I also love how you always have some sort of answers for us viewers. I appreciate all you do. Keep it up. 
keep it real. It's what separates you from the rest. Also wanted to say I live in Newfoundland uh, most of my life. I lived in Newfoundland most of my life and never once heard of Oak Island until season one of The Curse. And also makes me super fascinated in the hunt, which seems as, as it was so close to home. All right. Thank you so much, Wayne, for the kind words. Uh, for one, um, I have been a great, a huge fan of the band Great Big C, uh, who are proud Newfoundlanders for sure. Uh, and this has been true for years and years. I discovered them very early in their career, and I absolutely love them. Um, if you folks out there are interested, look them up. Great Big C. Um, they're no longer together, but they're but the uh, people in the band are still working separately. Uh, and they sure made Newfoundland out to sound like a wonderful place that I would love to visit one day. <laughs> Definitely on my bucket list. Also, I have to say, um, with this silver thing of Dr. Spooner's, you know, having being removed a couple of months from it now, um, it truly was quite the cliffhanger, you know, the cliffhanger that we all needed to make sure that we're waiting with bated breath for the next season. And this show has always been good at that, you know, from the very beginning with the uh, Spanish coin found in the swamp to, you know, the end of the season when somebody pulls a, a Roman pylum out or you know, well, that turned out not to be a Roman pylum, but um, when somebody pulls a cross out or somebody gets, you know, information that says there might be a ship in the swamp or what have you. This one, silver, large deposits indicating a big deposit of silver underground in the money pit. Boy, that is as good a uh, cliffhanger as one could possibly have come up with. <laughs> really is quite amazing. Uh, thanks again, Wayne. Keep listening. Let's go now to, let's see, where we go next? To Kristen, who says, Hiya, I have, I'm very new to the Oak Island show and have recently binge-watched all previous seasons after watching season eight. I'm also, I'm, I'm also new to your podcast and just catching up on the last season, so forgive me if you've already sorted this out. Marty and Rick jokingly refer to finding the treasure as Bravo Tango, Multiple times in the first and maybe second season, maybe even the odd time since. Though when Rick said it all again over the phone in the car, it occurred to me that I don't remember hearing them say it in the preceding few seasons. I also laughed because I'm not as far removed from the initial season and got the reference right away. Anyway, thanks for great content. Helps keep me grounded. I'm pretty sure if the crew brought on a specialist that claimed aliens deposited a treasure on Oak Island, I'd be like, wow, cool. So as you can see, you are needed. <laughs> Cheers, Kristen. <laughs> I like the way you put that. Uh, reading your email really makes me feel like uh, kind of, I, I, I mentioned to, to, to you before, my memory is just terrible, right? Um, I did not remember that at all. And you're the first person, even though I made such a big deal about it, you're the first person to give us this information that Bravo Tango is indeed not new to the Laginas. This is something that they just say to each other, I guess. Um, when they said it this past season, it, it really was like I never heard them say, you even used that term before. It was completely erased from my memory. And, uh, and don't stop there. If we're missing anything else from the early seasons, let me know. I've been watching since the very first episode, so it's been years since I watched all of season one, years. Uh, maybe I maybe a good off-season podcast is to do a season one rewatch, uh, you know, po podcast. Maybe do that for the Patreon. Uh, wait a minute, did I say Patreon? Hey, hold on, folks. More on that, but not today.
Thank you, Kristen. Let's go now to Patrick, who writes, I've recently discovered your podcast, and I'm enjoying it as a compliment to the show. I've enjoyed this season, even if the narrator continues to be over the top. One question that sticks with me regarding the Oak Island mystery is the technology required to have created the flood tunnels from Smith's Cove and the money pit itself. As elaborate as this project seems to have been, this would lead one to believe that this was not brand new technology. Are there any other examples of such construction on any other beaches around the world? Sullivan's book mentioned a theory regarding Haiti, but nothing has apparently been found there. For season nine, I would like to see continued exploration of the swamp, especially the location of the supposed ship. Thanks again for your podcast, Patrick from Atlanta. Patrick, I think you can pretty much guarantee that we're going to get more of the swamp, um, regardless of whether or not it is the early uh, focus of the show. Um, But if you recall, they ended last season talking about putting a coffer dam in there. Um, in the swamp so that they can really kind of dry out that section that they found that old piece of finished wood and get a real look at what might be there. Now, the problem is, if you're new to the podcast and you haven't listened to the podcast before, you know, they found the SS Maddie Blake, the ship anomaly that Maddie Blake got so um, excited about. And uh, they saw it on the seismic and there was a big, you know, meeting with the seismic people and all that. And they keep showing that graphic they put up and the problem is the very next season they drilled in that area and found nothing so we're relating that bit of information from the seismic uh, scanning to this piece of wood and as far as i can tell they're not at all related right but that doesn't mean we're not going to chase this area of this piece of wood where this was because that was a fascinating find so let's see what that's all about As far as the tunnel system goes to bring water to the money pit, honestly, I mean, I don't know of any specific thing, but it's, it's not very technologically advanced or even difficult to imagine somebody doing that. I mean, it's just some drains and some seagrass over the top to keep the drains from from clogging up with mud and rocks. The Romans were sending water underground, so it definitely wasn't anything groundbreaking for its time. Um, You might not find an exact duplicate because there isn't a whole lot of use of seawater in those days, right? I mean, seawater was more of a, (laughs) you know, you, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do anything with it. You wouldn't bathe or drink it or anything like that. So there's, so, so you could see where that you can apply current technology to something a little new here. Um, you might, again, you might not find an exact duplicate of that system that fits the time frame that you're looking for. Uh, but again, it's, it's, I mean, am I wrong here? It's just the drain. It's a huge and dangerous project to undertake. Certainly it's nuts when you think about it really, but it's not something that would be unheard of or impossible. And certainly something that people did. Um, even if we're talking about the era of the Knights Templar, I remember talking to, um, a Knights Templar historian, uh, in an earlier podcast and asking him if they thinks these kind of things that were to the drains and the underground ground vault is something that the Knights Templar were capable of. And his answer was really on their lunch break. It's so easy for them. Uh, I hope I answer for that for you, Patrick, if not write me back and I'll try again. Maybe I'm not kind of getting what you're going at. Anyway, let's go now to Claude on Facebook. Claude writes, okay, I got to say it, the road, They keep showing the road. Is it just me? It looks like it ends. A rectangular structure, a ship's wharf with cribbing to hold together. After that, the rocks they are attempting to follow look scattered. 
not part of the structure. A wharf is still cool. And what is it doing there? And why is it so big? And the rail from 600 AD? What lasts that long underwater in mud without decaying? Great question. Uh, I'm having a hard time anymore. Really. I want to watch and hope for better, uh, and hope for better, but my hopes are being let down. Dave, I'm drowning here. <laughs> I could go on. I also have a hard time with some things they take to Carmen. Some of the dates he gives. The stuff is iron. Why not carbon date it? You can get an older than expected date. I don't know. And the cash coin. Wasn't this also a possible carriage washer? Not a cash coin at all. Anyway, looks look forward to your opinion. Thanks. Rant over. All right, Claude, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong on any of these questions you're having. The cash coin was iffy at best. Um, and honestly, not really much of a big deal to have been, to have found it, even if it was indeed an old Chinese cash coin. We talked about that in the, you know, when they found it. This is something that was, this, these kind of coins were ubiquitous and they're all over the place. Uh, and listen, I'm not going to, criticize Carmen Legg. I mean, he's a man in an expertise with an expertise in the field I have absolutely no knowledge of at all. So I trust his opinion on things, but I I do sometimes wish they would provide us with some more details and and maybe some more possibilities on these things that he looks at, right? Because the way these scenes are aired, it looks like they hand him this piece, he looks at it for a second and then comes out with this sort of definite thing, um, almost objective sounding, right? Uh, what his takes are on these things as he sees them. And I just find it hard to believe, meaning I can't imagine he doesn't actually say a lot more to the guys about the artifact and the possibilities involved in what it could be. It just all ends up, I guess it just all ends up on the cutting room floor, but you would think he kind of stops a little bit and says, oh, it might be this. And may, he may use less define, you know, less objective sounding words than we get to hear. And stop drowning, Claus. We have to give the team a non-COVID effective season before we can really start criticizing and doubting. Everyone is doing their best in a very difficult situation that they could never have been prepared for. Anyway, thank you, Claude. Let's go now across the pond to Bob, who is in the UK. Bob writes for a while in the beginning of his email about the differences in the watching experiences over there compared to the North, compared to what we see over here, mostly about the um, the narration. Uh, Bob, sorry, it's just too long to read it all here, but let me get to this part of your email where he writes, I'm sorry to have missed the deadline for contributions to, to your season eight review episode, but if I could have made the cut, I would have said much, I would have said how much I thoroughly enjoyed the season even with all its oddities caused by occasionally strange editing and items not followed up. The journey is taking on a more profound meaning than the original goal. Sure, we'd all like to find something down there, in quotes, eventually. But in the meantime, what an incredibly compelling story they're literally unearthing. Despite all the immense difficulties caused by COVID, the team and the producers should be congratulated for giving us 25 episodes of stunning TV. I only hope this year isn't further compromised by COVID restrictions. I would hate to have our beloved show forced off the air for a year owing to them, owing to them being unable to get on with their work. Final scene of episode 25 with Marty praising his brother for his work and Rick's emotional, humble and heartfelt response. And his thanks to the team had me quite choked up. Gary's will follow you anywhere. Mate summed up how I, how I as a viewer felt at that moment. It's a privilege to be able to have this show, uh, to be have, have this window into their unique lives 
and share in their highs and lows. They've come to feel like family to me, and I sincerely hope that they and Prometheus follow this journey through to the very end, whatever that final outcome may be. In closing, I'd like to congratulate you, too, for keeping your podcast going and providing us with so much interesting information. I really do hope you find time to finish the story of Captain Kidd, as I'm hungering to know how it ends. I love the interviews you do with people associated in some way with the island. I bought James McQuiston's Oak Island Endgame on the strength of your interview with him, and it's been one of the most interesting books I've read in a long time. Best wishes from the UK. Stay safe, Bob. Uh, thank you so much, Bob. Um, I'm working on the final chapter, like I said, of the story of our esteemed friend, Captain Kidd. Uh, hopefully that'll be available to you guys in the coming weeks. Um, I'm also, And again, I'm also working on a lot of interviews for the offseason, um, so we'll see how it all shakes out. And I agree with James McQuiston. He really does look to be onto something here. He's got a new book out since then, which is equally as fascinating. Um, but that's another, and that's a story unfolding in real time in front of us, right? Just like the show, right? His he's actually doing his research and putting it out as it comes, rather than doing ten years worth of research and then coming to some conclusion and then advocating for that conclusion. He's actually putting us into the middle of the research process. Now. About last season, I spent a lot of time last year trying to balance myself between criticisms of the show and knowing what a challenge last year really was for the team and also knowing the producers made a choice to try and hide those challenges, you know, try to hide those difficult aspects of COVID from the viewers as much as they possibly could. My fear is, Bob, and I've said this before, we might be into this same balancing act again this year. And I really do believe, uh, I mean, you're gushing about it and you and I don't share exactly the same view on the last season. In my mind, they came last year as close to jumping the shark as they ever had. And another year like that is going to be really tough for some viewers. Now, I'm sorry to anyone who doesn't know what I mean by jumping the shark. Look it up. It's hysterical. Let's finish this podcast off with an email from Gary in uh, Yorkshire, England, who writes, Hi, Dave. Hope you are keeping occupied now that season eight has ended. Been doing some digging, no pun intended, in the online UK newspaper archives and came up with the attached article on the money pit from a newspaper called the Leamington Advi uh, Advertiser, dated 27th September 1866. Uh, Leamington is a small town in Warwickshire, England. As you can see from the article, there are a number of key differences from the normal story. The three original finders are not young boys, but three men who actually owned land on the island and were constructing huts. But also of interest is the mention of an already constructed road leading from the pit to the west shore. A road leading from the money pit to the west shore? Could this be the road being uncovered in the swamp? Apologies for the clotworthy-esque commentary. I kind of helped there, didn't I? I wonder if anyone else has read this version of events, as it certainly seems more realistic than the traditional account regards. Gary, first of all, thank you so much for sending that along. What a great read. This is what I was mentioning before, uh, how unbelievably important <laughs> you guys, you listeners, have been in my, to me in finding some of this information and getting it out to viewers and people who are really, you know, not only believers, but skeptics, right? The article you sent here was indeed published in this Leamington advertiser, but it appears it was a reprint of an article published in the New York Herald. Um, 
And it is a fascinating and very early 1866 retelling of the discovery of the money pit. And it has some other really fascinating details to it. I'd go further into it and I'd start quoting it and all that. But Gary, I want to kind of put out my own little teaser here and my own little, my own little uh, uh, cliffhanger. I want to take some time to really look into it. For one thing, I'm having kind of a hard time reading some of it. So I got to kind of cut through that a bit. But I also want to research it a bit more, you know, and find out a little bit more about it. And in that to that end, Gary, anything you can come up with on this, like, geez, maybe even the name of the author uh, or if you can find a better and easier to read version, please let me know. I'm on it trying to find the old New York Herald version of it. Um, this is fascinating. I, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking I might even do an entire episode, albeit a small, a short one probably, just about this one article because it really is a great addition to what we would call the tale of the discovery of the money pit and the telling of that tale. Anyway, Gary, thank you so much <laughs> for sending this in. And thank you to everyone for writing in. Don't forget, if you would like to send us an email, you can do so. Island at gmail.com. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Thank you so much for sticking around and for staying subscribed. Hopefully we'll be out next week. Shameless plug time. I produce another, I got a lot of shameless plugs today. Sorry about this. I produce another podcast called Sit Downs and Sessions. Me and my friend and radio host Chris Poe sit down over a drink or two and we talk about pubs and music and talk a little bit of politics and paranormal. Basically what we do is we sit at a bar and we record ourselves. Uh, two guys who have been observing the world for a long time, I think. Give it a listen. You can find sit downs and sessions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere where you get your usual, uh, you know, where you get your podcasts. Uh, we're actually now going to start, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, start recording again, actually from a pub, uh, which was our always our intention. And as, as I mentioned before, I'm back on the air as a DJ, so if you're available Wednesday afternoons from two to four p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can find me hosting a radio show on WDVR-FM called the Bourbon Street Bistro, where I play the music of New Orleans. You can listen by going to uh, WDVRFM.org or uh, apparently just telling Alexa to turn on WDVR. Also, if you're enjoying the Digging Oak Island podcast, I ask you to please give us a five-star rating anywhere you get your shows. Uh, a big thank you to everyone who has done that so far, who's left the five-star rating. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do that, and thank you especially for the kind words. Uh, and it also helps to get the word out on the show, and that's always a good thing. Don't forget, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Digging Elk Island. And as I mentioned already, if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so. Sending me an email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or even a direct message on the social media, keep in mind I may just answer it here on a podcast. So if you don't, for whatever reason, want it mentioned on a show, just make a note of that for me and I'll do my best to respond to you. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island. Everybody.